just because they are wrong, it doesn't mean they are evil. Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we talk about how you and your organization can take your next step in your leadership journey. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we are still sponsored by no one. So today, I'm not going to tell you who to sell your car to. I'm not going to tell you what type of mattress I sleep on. Of course, that 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS is a pretty, it gets stuck in your head. It's mm-hmm. like a jingle. It's like 1-800. So anyway, yeah. Uh, Cole, how you doing today, buddy? I'm great, man. Feeling good. I'm ready to chat. Do you? What about uh, what about the wife and the pregnancy? Everything going good? It's going real well, man. You ready to be a dad? I don't see... People keep asking me that, and I keep saying, you know, ask me like two weeks before, because then I think it'll become more real. And also, I've never done it before, so I'd, I guess I don't know what it feels like to be ready. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm a dad of a 15-year-old, and you're never ready for it. Because as soon as you... Get, it's This is not a parenting podcast, and I will probably never write a parenting book, but I will say this. As soon as you get used to them being one certain way, they will change tactics on you. They will. That's what I'm hearing, They'll sleep man. through the night, and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, it's the best thing. And then they'll change tactics. But Everybody's the, telling me it never gets easy. The, the challenge just changes. Yeah, but you know what? Let me say this. One of the most horrible things that can happen to new parents are the parents that try to freak you out. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this. Being a dad is one of the greatest things in the world, and you're going to love it, and it's going to be amazing. It's like people would tell me before my wedding, like, oh, man, like, what do you, like, I love being married. That's a whole, we don't need to go on yeah, a tangent yeah, yeah, about yeah. this. We'll but. do another podcast on that another time. Today, we're going to talk about something that's not controversial at all, and everybody will agree with this subject, and all the people will say amen. <laughs> Should a Christian or should the church be involved in politics? Now, Cole, we've 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 done a thing or two around here, and uh, you also kind of manage the social media. What do you see our social media do anytime we talk about politics around here? We see a pretty dramatic spike, isn't it? <laughs> And and let me just say this: there's there's some really mean, ungodly people on both sides would you agree sides yes well i think it's important to talk about because the midterm elections are coming up for america and at the end of the day the person or let me just say the people leading our country really do matter i used to say no to the church being involved in politics i took a pretty hard stand on it for about 25 or so years i would can i ask you why well, because I was one of those preach the gospel people. And when I say preach the gospel, gospel, which, by the way, is translated good news. And so, um, but I was all about preach the gospel, and that's enough. Let's just get people out of hell and into heaven. And you still preach the gospel. I, I, well, it's kind of the to most, most people, important yes, thing. There's a few, there's a few people that call me a heretic, but that's a pretty big word. It is. You used to have to wear a dress and wear a funny hat to call people heretics, so yep. um, not just have a Twitter account. Back to the subject, though. Um, I used to be like, if you just preach the gospel, that's enough. That's all the church is supposed to do is, is preach the gospel. Um, but at the end of the day, the gospel, 
the good news isn't about just getting out of hell and into heaven. It's about getting Jesus out of heaven and into us. It's about us having a kingdom mindset. It's about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, right? To earth, yeah. I think that's part of this conversation is how do we, you know, Jesus prays thy kingdom come on earth, you know, as it is in heaven. Yes. How do we, I feel like that plays into how we view politics and government and stuff like that. 100%. And there's a, there is a fine line for the church to walk. Um, but I, I went through a, a metamorphosis. Boy, there's a big word. I don't even know how to spell that. Um, I, I went through a metamorphosis on the subject, honestly, Cole, in watching how the whole COVID thing went down. And how some churches, um, some churches just sh- shut down, and and honestly, they've never recovered. Some churches, um, like, stood their ground. Some churches were kind of neutral. Um, but I'm I'm the guy now that well, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about the four reasons. There are basically four reasons that I do think Christians and churches should be involved in politics. Now, let me pause. When I say involved, I'm not talking about um, holding a rally at your church. Now, let me pause there again and say, we caught a little bit of heat when we had Charlie Kirk in here. Mm -hmm. By the way, that was a great night. He is, listen, at the end of the day, it was a Tuesday night. He asked, could his organization ask, could they use our church to host an event? We said yes. People are like, why'd you? And then people are like, well, Satanists start to ask. Okay, first of all, a Satanist has never requested to use our venue. Um, number two, Charlie Kirk is not a Satanist. Number three, I, I would I would say no to the Satanist organization that wanted to use the church. Or, or we'd get some charismatics in here and cast all the demons out. Anyway, yeah. we had him in here. It was a great event. Um, but I wouldn't turn, I'm not saying turn your Sundays into political rallies. Yeah, but I do have about four four good reasons um, that I believe that the church should be involved in politics. So I see here the first one you have is decompartmentalization. Hey, Did I say that right? That's right. Decompartmentalization. <laughs> I was a little nervous. It's a big word. I worked for I worked for a couple of hours on that one. Um, so one of the things that I think we as Christians get wrong. Now, I didn't say you as Christians. I said all of us get wrong. If, if we're not careful, we can fall into this line of thinking, and it's this. When we ask Jesus to come into our life, and if we're not careful, we, we'll teach this you know, just subconsciously. When we ask Jesus to come into our life, we ask Jesus to be a part of our life, and, that, and, and we decompartmentalize him from the other areas of our life. Think about a pie. I love using food illustrations. They make me so happy. You like pie as I, well. I love desserts, man. But I ran 10 miles today, so I feel like I earned it. Yeah. Um, but imagine a pie, and you cut it into eight slices. The way a lot of people view um, Christianity is Christianity, the pie represents our life, and Christianity is a slice of that pie. So another slice would be um, relationships. Another slice would be money. Another slice would be career. And what we do is we compartmentalize Christ. But 
one of the things that I had to come to grips with was Jesus didn't die on the cross so he could be a piece of the pie. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he could be a part of our life. Jesus literally, when we ask him into our life, he didn't become, he didn't become a slice of the pie. He becomes the pie. Mm-hmm. Everything is in him. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, for you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world. I love it right there. He says, who is your life? Not who is a part of your life, but who is your life. So if Jesus Christ is our life, then Jesus and and what he says about things has to impact the way that we see and view everything. That includes our money, that includes relationships, and that does include politics. Now, I love it when people go, well, Jesus never voted. Okay, he didn't have the opportunity. (laughs) Jesus never used air conditioner either, you freaking hypocrite. Like, you know, Jesus never drove in a car, so walk everywhere. And by the way, he didn't have comfortable sandals either, so go barefoot. You know what? Don't go barefoot, dear Lord. Some, Some people... Don't need to go barefoot, Cole. I mean, it's just hard to compare Jesus's political situation to ours in it's some a ways different. because they're, you know, they're in they're under invasion from the Roman government. Like our governments look completely different. I think that's part of the difficulty for me sometimes is taking the things Jesus said and applying it to a completely different. Here's the funny thing about that, though: when people go, Jesus wasn't involved in politics. He actually was. He said some very politically strong things at the time. Well, a couple of things to keep in mind about Jesus and politics. Number one, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were political parties. They weren't just religious parties. They were political parties. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, remember they got together and they said, hey, if we don't do something about this guy, the Romans are going to come in and take our power away from us. Yeah. And then when Jesus um, came into Jerusalem on the donkey... And they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were waving palm branches. That was very much a political statement. And Jesus didn't shut it down. And so you're right. He did say some political things. And and so for me, I'm like, well, actually, Jesus was involved in politics. We just don't pick up on the innuendos because, I mean, he did. it wasn't the same form of government, like you said. Yeah. And we're going to get into, I think, more the nitty-gritty of what that means yep, for yep, us. Yep. But number two, you have here, the gospel should change our minds. Yes. So we we go through things sometimes that change our minds. Like, Cole, how long have you been married? Oh, my gosh. I almost had to think for a second. Six years. Six years. Um, Seven in May. You had to think about that for a minute, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm, 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 Addy probably won't <laughs> listen to this. Anyway, um, so... Have you changed your mind about anything, Cole, since you've gotten married? My gosh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go through, and you're about to change your mind, too, about having a kid, yeah, right? Yeah, Because you're going to realize sleep is way overrated. You don't need sleep. You can just sleepwalk. It's great. Yep. That's why God gave us Adderall. <laughs> anyway, not endorsing any don't illicit use drug use prescription only <laughs> under the supervision of a medical expert. <laughs> We're we can probably, we can make that part really probably, fast, like the no, like the disclaimer. We're probably going to get sued now. Anyway, 
Um, I've changed my mind about stuff. Like, you know, I just, uh, I've been married a little over a year now to Shannon. She's wonderful. And we love her. when she came, she, she had a really tiny apartment and I have a house. And she was like, you want to move in the apartment or the house? I was like, let's take the house. <laughs> and so she said, um, well, okay. And when she moved in, I thought, you know, we got it all set up. Everything's fine. She's not going to rearrange everything, anything. Shannon has rearranged our house 748 times. Um, and it's, let me pause. It's always wonderful. But um, I thought, you know, we'll just do it one time. And, but she, she'll see something. She want to change it. And we'll just, she just does it, right? Yeah. So we, we all go through situations that change our mind. And so many, I think so many people, we get caught up. And God was like this for so long. We think the gospel is supposed to change the way we behave. So if you're mm. an addict and you receive Jesus, all of a sudden you're not going to be an addict anymore. And let me pause. I've seen that happen. It does happen. I wish it happened that way. But it doesn't usually, usually it's through a process, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that the gospel is supposed to do is supposed to change the way we think. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross to establish a behavior modification program, right? He died on the cross so that his spirit and his word can be in us. And over time, that changes the way that we think. Paul wrote in Romans 12, too. Man, I'm quoting a lot of scripture in this. I, anyway, love, I love this one. Um, Keep going. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, not the way you behave. Because at the end of the day, I can behave a certain way and not change my thinking. For example, if you have a couple kids and you've either and you've seen one kid beating up the other kid and you stop the fight and you tell one kid, "Hey, tell him you're sorry." Well, I can say I'm sorry and not mean it, right? Yeah, yeah. I we we can all do that. I mean, we've all done that and just about, but at the end of the day, it's the change in our thinking that actually brings about sorrow. And, and repentance, which mm-hmm. repentance is not changing the way you behave. It's changing the way you think, because the way we think always leads to behavior. Yeah, I always tell our students, if you if you can allow God to change your mind, he can change your life. Like, I, I always think it starts up here, because we make decisions based on our worldview, our hurts, our passions, and that all starts in your head. I just read a fascinating book, and I'm getting out my phone right now. To pull up my Kindle app to tell you the name of the book because if I can find my where is my you just I, wh- told me about this it's it's a book the neural by, pathway by Doctor Caroline Leaf on the brain and I read it in two days now I love books on it it's, it's called Switch on Your Brain by Doctor Caroline Leaf um, now I don't typically read any books really fast if they're not either history, because I'm a history nerd, historical fiction, or some kind of just random fiction. I read this book in two days, Switch on Your Brain. And she talks, but in this book, she talks about the power of thinking. Mm -hmm. And she actually talks a lot about the power of allowing scripture to reshape the neural pathways in our minds. It's absolutely brilliant which is probably why there's a doctor in front of her name. She has more degrees than thermometers, but they're good ones. I mean, she's super, 
smart, but she's also super relatable. She's a great follow on Instagram too. Um, but one of the things that I've learned is the purpose of us spending time with Jesus is so that we can become more like him. And the more like him we become, the more we think like he thinks. Like, for example, about money. You know, obviously, I want to view money the way Jesus views money. Um, about sex. I want to view sex the way Jesus views sex. Jesus doesn't have an opinion. I love it when people tell me. Let's just read the Song of Solomon. I love it when people try to tell me that the book of Song of Solomon is about, like, Jesus and the church. And I'm always like, uh, well, in the book, if you're, if what you're saying is true, the church asked Jesus at one point to come blow on my garden. <laughs> I'm highly uncomfortable we need to beep this out. with that. No, we're not. We're keeping this in. I'm highly uncomfortable. That is that is not a metaphor of Jesus and his church. That is a that is I mean, you put Marvin Gaye on, let's get it on repeat and read that chapter in the Bible. That's some good let stuff. Let the record show I'm my face is red. You are beat red right now. I love it. Um But anyway, so you think that way about money, sex, um, abortion. I'll bet you in a lot of people's cars or homes or treadmills right now, you could just you could have just heard a rat fart. But but Jesus has an opinion on that, right? Um yeah. about male and fe- it, it blows my mind that we're arguing about male and female right now. It blows my mind. It's I'm it blows my mind. But and and that's where I think churches have an obligation in love to speak out. I mean, I think that that's not just a, that's not just a, and, and don't be mean about it, but don't apologize for it. That's the other thing. We, we apologize for speaking out. Like, for example, today we're going to talk about being transgender. Now, if you're transgender, um, I don't want to make you feel bad. And I, I want you to know, okay, that's fine. You can say all that. But do we do that for anything else? Today we're going to talk about adultery. If you're an adulterer, we're so sorry that you're offended. We don't mean to offend you. Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. Just, I mean, just. Say it in love, say it with grace, but at the end of the day, if we're going to think like Jesus, and part of our job as leaders is to lead our churches to be like Jesus and think like Jesus, then we've got to address these, are, and these, these are not political issues. They're biblical issues that politicians have hijacked and tried to divide us with. Yeah, I and I would just encourage, I think it's really hard I think it's easy to say that we need to have these conversations in love and in real life, it's hard to like really figure out how exactly to do that for just like the everyday person. And I think what's been most helpful for me is just actually being in, being in relationship with people I disagree with. 100%. And I don't think we have enough people in our country right now that are actually willing to do that. Like go have dinner with somebody that doesn't think like you. Just because I, I wrote this down not too long ago, just because, okay, let's say you feel like you're right and the other person is wrong. Okay, let's say that's true. Let's say about a certain issue, you're right and, and the other person is wrong. This is what I would say mm-hmm. to that. Just because they are wrong, it doesn't mean they are evil. Yes. Ooh. Say that again. I, I will. Just because they are wrong, it doesn't mean 
they are evil. And I'll tell you why we think they're evil. It's because of how we get our news. Hmm. Whether you watch MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. Even Facebook, Twitter. Yes. However you get your news. What the, uh, the, there's, there are two sides, right? But what the other side has done, instead of trying to put out the best argument possible, they try to demonize someone on the other side and get you to hate them. And it's bled into our culture really bad. 100%. So, for example, so let me, let me just give an example. Um, I'll give two. Uh, the first is um, people ask me, Perry, how do you feel about gay marriage? Well, personally, according to my, the best interpretation of Scripture, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe that's what God created. I believe it's, I believe that's the best way to do it. However, we've got several gay married couples that attend our church. Some of which have recently like given their lives to Jesus. And I love that they are here so much. I don't think they're evil people. I don't think they're wicked. I don't think they're sacrificing children. I want them in church. And I they all have names and I know their names, but I'm not going to call their name on the podcast, but yeah. like once you we put love a, them. Once you put once you take people out of a category and you put a name to it, it's hard to demonize. Mm. But I I've said this before in a message, but I'll say it on the podcast. Once you categorize you can demonize. Hmm. That's what Hitler did with the Jews. Yeah. Hitler categorized them as less than people. Then he demonized them and and led an effort to eradicate them from the earth. So, I mean, that's how dark it can get, right? Yeah. So, so for example, um, and, and someone asked me one time, I never will forget this conversation. It was with a pastor who um currently hates my guts, but he. <laughs> He asked me, he said, would you baptize a person that was openly gay? I was like, well, I got a couple questions. Uh, did the person pray to receive Christ? Yes, absolutely, I'd baptize them. <laughs> you can't. I can't? Why? Were they, well, they're gay. And um, this particular guy, I pro- I'm just going to tell you because it was seven years ago, so I know he's not listening to this. This guy was was large. He was obese. And I and I just said, well, um, what if a fat person asked me to baptize them? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, that's different. I said, no, sir. No, sir, it's not. It's a lack of self-control. Have you it's ever a, baptized somebody that's without sin? Uh, I never have. But I was making that point to this guy. I was like, yeah. so based on your based on what you just said, if somebody is morbidly obese, you would not baptize them. And he pushes back and goes, no, 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 that's different. I'm like, no, actually, technically, it's a sin of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and I love this, Cole, he said, well, what if they're genetically predisposed to obesity? And I paused. I said, stop for a minute. I said, if you're going to use the genetically predisposed to obesity then you've got to allow the person who's a homosexual to say that they're genetically predisposed as well. Or even alcoholism or like there's, you could yeah, go I on told him, and I said, on So on. If, if you're going to go there, that's fine. That we, we can go there. But you can't use that to um, justify your sin and then demonize somebody else. Now, 
he because of that he thinks I'm a liberal, which if <laughs> there's nothing liberal about me except the amount of cake I should eat um when I sit down for a meal. But at the end at the end of the day, um it it comes down to loving people even if you think they're not on the right side. You um, we're still called to love one another, right? Yeah. So good, man. Thank you. I don't even... Are we on number three? Number three. Okay, number three. Uh, there are no... Or I'm sorry. There are there are absolutely Christians involved in politicals. Po- I can't read. Politics. You're let me, doing great, let me try this again. Hook it There's on absolutely politics. Christians involved in politics in the Bible. Yeah, so I used to... I used to throw that argument out. I used to say, okay, here's the deal. Um, I'm not going to get involved in politics because there aren't, there's no, there's no biblical examples of Christians being involved in politics in the Bible. And all I was doing was proving my biblical illiteracy because, and I'm just going to name a couple, um, Joseph in the book of Genesis. I'm reading the book of Genesis right now. I love so the book it's of Genesis. very, it's very good. It's so fascinating. Anyway, Joseph is pretty much vice president of Egypt. He runs the place. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for Joseph, they all starved to death. Did he have to make political decisions? Yes. Informed by God? Yes. Thank you. Um, Moses had to go before Pharaoh. David was a man after God's own heart, and he was king, which made him a politician. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, which put him in a political position to rebuild the wall. Esther, oh my gosh. Okay, so first of all, you can't clean that story up. (laughs) Esther was a sex slave. Yeah. And talk about God taking one of the worst situations in the history of the world and redeeming it. Mm -hmm. But you can't read the book of Esther. And like, it starts out with Haman being essentially the vice president. Haman gets impaled on a 75-foot pole. I mean, that that, that, suck. that sucks right there. And then Mordecai is writing law at the end of the book of Esther. That's It's politics. all politics. Um, and then the prophets were always calling out the Daniel kings. Was Daniel was a big one. Daniel was huge into politics. I'm just saying it shouldn't be our obsession. I don't, I don't, unless God's called you to be a politician, which, by the way, I wish more people that love Jesus would run for office. I, I do. I agree with 100%, that. 100%. Whether it's school board, mayor, governor, vice president. Well, you, can't, you can't run for vice president. But president, you know, you know what I'm saying? I wish more <laughs> yeah. people would. I would love to be president for a day, just to be honest with you. What, just to know the secrets? No, just to ride on Air Force One. I think that'd be so cool. <laughs> I think that'd be so cool. Just to ride on Air Force I would fly to Italy um, and, and get some good, good Italian food and gelato and fly home and be like, man, that was awesome. And you make wouldn't a phone want call. to know any of the secrets. I, I would want to know about um, aliens. Aliens? No, <laughs> Ari, aliens don't exist. I know. Um, I'm just kidding. But I would love to know, like, who shot JFK. Ooh. Okay. I, do, I would. We are totally getting off subject here, but that's okay. That's okay. So anyway, there are absolutely Christians in the Bible that are involved in. I put Christians in air quotes, but there are Christians involved in politics. So if we're going to use the the Bible as an excuse, then it's got to be an excuse to be involved. Not, not to just ignore it. I agree. And number four, because of historically what has happened when God is not to be found in government. Yeah, so this is, this is what's insane to me. Um, 
history tells us what will happen in the future if we don't pay attention to it. That's good. It does. So I love when people scream, but what about the whole separation of church and state thing? And I want to pause real quick and just say I'm not, I'm not being mean, but if you want to use the separation of church and state argument, then you either heard that in your high school or your college. Um, that, that phrase is nowhere in the Declaration of Independence, and it's nowhere in the Constitution. It was written by Thomas Jefferson in a letter that he penned to the Danbury Baptist Association, and the letter was written with the intention on keeping the government out of the church. For example, it would, it would be, it would be, in today's equivalent, it would be saying that the government cannot demand that your church fly a gay pride flag. Just, I mean, just a hypothetical throwing it out there. Um, but separation of church and state is nowhere in the Constitution. It's nowhere in the Declaration of Independence. It is. It is something that people who prey upon the uneducated use to keep us locked in a prison of fear. Yeah. Um, and then the whole God not involved in government, that's been tried before. If you look at history, um, Hitler. Hitler was like, no God. Now, he let the church, church kind of do its thing. But while Hitler was rounding up the Jewish people to have them murdered— the, the church didn't say anything. The church didn't speak up. I mean, now, now there are examples of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaking up, and obviously he got arrested and, and, yeah, wrote some great stuff, but then got ultimately martyred for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, like, thank God men like him said, no, actually, we've got to speak up and speak out on this stuff. But because the church remained silent, millions of people died. So Hitler was no god in government, and where did that get us? Another another example is Stalin in Russia. Um, Stalin was an atheist. He said there was no god. Now he let the church kind of do its thing, but the government leaders actually paid the church leaders off to to be compliant. And if they weren't compliant, they got killed. So I mean, there's a couple options for you. That's it. But under an atheist regime, Stalin. It's estimated, I think, Cole, that somewhere between 40 and 50 million people died. They, oh my God. They still don't know how many people died. Um, Paul Potts, um, uh, North Korea, to, in today's world, yeah. when you take God out of government, then what you're going to have are selfish, self-centered people who do things for the benefit of themselves leading the nation, and that's always going to go dark, and it's always going to go bad. Because, listen, I know, personally, this is just me, as a leader, my proclivity to screw up and mess up, apart from Jesus, is unlimited. Mm -hmm. If I don't have Jesus in my life, I can go dark, and I can go dark fast. Um, And even with Jesus in my life, I still have to fight to, you know, be godly, but then he gives us the strength to do that if we, you know, if we want to fight through and and do that. But at the end of the day, I, I just think you take God, you take Jesus out of government, and it we've seen what happens. We've seen what happens. So can I ask you a follow up question to that? Absolutely. I'm 
curious and kind of just speaking as a, you know, I'm one guy. Practically speaking, what what would you encourage somebody to do to make that happen? Like, I, I know voting, obviously, but is there any, it, like, how do we as the church collectively, as individuals and as a body, get God back into our government? I think it's going to be a process. I think it has to be a process over time. I think it's individuals deciding to stand together and stand for what's right, um, speaking the truth in love, but then holding to our core convictions and our core values. So if you know one person's out there going, how can I make a difference? Well, you know, the last presidential election was won by less than 40 or 50,000 votes. So, I mean, which isn't that many. No, you I mean, you take you take if 40 or 50,000 people sit around and think about, well, I can't make a difference, then that could literally change the culture and the temperature of a country for 4 years. So, I don't it's not that I think we we should vote. I think we have a moral obligation to participate in the in the in the process that God has given our nation. I love it, man. It's good. Well, that's all we got. You have any closing words? You know, it's 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 one of those things where I think we 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 need to deal with politics in the church because it's something that everyone is talking about. And so I just think as church leaders, when people walk into our church, if we talk about things that are relevant to their lives, because nobody spent the majority of their week thinking about the trichotomy or dichotomy of the spirit, right? Most people didn't break down their week going, man, do I believe in the tulip? And if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you're actually probably better. the flower. I mean, but yeah, but like most people aren't thinking, most people are like, oh my gosh, um, our economy's going, oh my gosh, my 401k turned into a, negative 200 B. I mean, do you know, like what's going on? So people are thinking about these issues. And so I think if we speak into them with confidence, truth, and love that it sets our church up for a win. And ultimately I think it could set our nation up for a win. I love it. That's good. Thanks. Well, thank you for being on joining us today on the Perry Noble leadership podcast. Once again, if you want to sponsor us or if you have any questions about, politics or Cole's new baby, uh, you can email us podcast at second chance dot is podcast. I always look at Ed cause I'm always afraid I'll get that wrong yeah. podcast at second chance dot is. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Perry Noble leadership podcast. We hope you had a blast spending time with us. For more thoughts on leadership, visit Perry's blog at perrynoble.com.